anyway, welcome. I really believe God's going to speak to you through this message. We've been doing a series on the preeminence of Christ, where the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 18 and following, and I'm just condensing the essence of those verses, that Jesus is first in everything. He's first in creation. He's first in risen from, being risen from the dead. He's first in conquering sin and setting us free. He is first in absolutely everything. He's first in all the powers of the universe. He's first. He is preeminent in everything. And the Bible says He's first in everything. And as a result, He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. What he did had cosmic implications. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth and by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And then Paul says, this includes you. It's not just a cosmic thing. It's an incredibly personal thing. This includes you who are once far away from God. The writer of Hebrews picks up on the same thought and the writer of Hebrews presents Jesus as first in everything, as better than everything else in the rest of creation. And he says, because of that, this is Hebrews 10 verse uh, 4, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I want you to notice by one sacrifice, he has made perfect, complete or whole is the essence of that word. And what he does is forever. It's not just a fleeting fix. It's an eternal state. You are being made perfect, made complete, made whole through what Jesus did on the cross in time and for eternity. The prophet Isaiah describes a series of exchanges that take place through the suffering Messiah, through what Jesus did on the cross. Some 700 years before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah prophesied about these extraordinary exchanges. Isaiah 53 verse 4 to 5, Surely He took our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. At the cross, this divine exchange took place. And God has not provided a multitude of solutions for the very complex problems of humanity. Instead, He offers us one all-sufficient solution. It's coming to the foot of the cross. And in that place, whatever we're struggling with, a divine exchange took place historically at the cross. But as we figuratively come back to the cross, an exchange can take place in our lives. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven according to Ephesians 1 verse 7. Secondly, our sin on Jesus in exchange, His righteousness on us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Thirdly, Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Isaiah declared that he took up our pain and bore our suffering and by his wounds, we are healed. 
Fourthly, Jesus tasted death for us that we might share his resurrection life. Some things we looked at last week. Number five, Jesus became poor that in return we might become rich. And Jesus lived in this abundance as defined by the Bible. He always had everything he needed to do the will of God and to be a blessing to others. And that's what we're talking about in this exchange, that God will give you everything you need for your circumstance to do the will of God and then to go on to be a blessing to others. And that's declared so clearly in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. And then six, number six, Jesus was made a curse that we might receive the blessing that was promised to Abram. And, and Jesus suffered. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree, according to Galatians 3 verse 13, so that the blessing of God might come upon you. But today as we draw this together, I want to talk about an incredible exchange. Our shame exchanged to receive God's glory through the power of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus endured and took on our shame that we might share in His glory. I want to draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 through 11. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting for God for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I want you to catch this. It's so powerful, this exchange. And right now, I want to speak over your life that whatever's going on, Jesus is not ashamed to identify himself with you. Yes, you may be experiencing brokenness. Maybe you're wrestling with this very powerful emotion called shame. Maybe you even have been through a period of disobedience and entrapped by something. And whatever your struggle, Jesus is not ashamed of you. Yeah, He wants to heal you. He wants to see you set free from your brokenness and your sin and whatever else is going on. But He's not ashamed of you. He took our shame that we might share in His glory. You see, there is a, a voice that speaks into our lives that is the voice of shame. And I'm talking about the devil. And other people may echo what he says about you. Whatever has been spoken over you by someone, whatever you've spoken over yourselves, because sometimes the worst things that have ever been said to us have been said by ourselves over our lives. There might have been the whispering hiss of the serpent, the devil, who's spoken shame over you. And no one of us is exempt from this voice of shame, this emotion of shame, and the voice of the accuser. According to Revelation 12 and verse 10, the, the enemy, the devil, is the accuser of the brethren. And he loves to speak negative things and things of shame to tie you up, to bind you up, and to stop you from fulfilling the destiny that God has for you. The devil speaks the language 
of shame. He, he, and shame is that gnawing anxiety that wreaks havoc in your soul. Shame is a, a deeply painful emotion. It is soul crushing and identity warping. And the devil loves to say, shame on you. And maybe you've actually heard somebody else say that. Maybe you've said that about yourself based on an action. And the terrible tragedy is sometimes people who are the victims of other people's shameful behaviour end up carrying the shame of the perpetrator. And God doesn't want to have shame on you. He wants shame off you. You see, shame sets us at the centre of our thoughts. It makes us self-obsessed. You hear these echoes of, I'm worthless. I'm the worst. I'll never get free of that sin. I'm so stupid. I'm the only one who struggles with this stuff. Oh, that's part of the voice of shame. Telling you, you're the only one. Everybody else is better, but you're the only one struggling with this stuff. The, the other thing it says, I'll never change. I'll never get free of this. And ultimately, shame drives us away from God. We see this take place in Adam and Eve when through their decisions of disobedience in disobeying what God had said, they suddenly experienced guilt and shame because of the sin they committed, because of their disobedience. And it says in Genesis 3 verse 7 through 9, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame. There was an emotion that God had never designed us to carry. It was a burden that God never intended for you to carry. Suddenly feeling shame over an action or because of something that's been done to you that was shameful by the perpetrator. And the result of it is they hid from God among the trees and then try to use leaves to cover up. And that's what we do when we carry this deeply powerful emotion of shame in our lives. We do all sorts of things to stop people discovering the real us because we believe we'll be rejected. We, we believe God will reject us. And again, if you've heard that whisper of the serpent saying, shame on you, I want to speak boldly what God says because of this divine exchange that took place on the cross. It's shame off you. Jesus took the shame that you might share His glory. Again, I just want to read that passage that is key to this, Hebrews 2 verse 10 and 11 in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It's not an exclusive few. You can experience God bringing you to glory, removing you from your shame, removing you from your brokenness, healing you from those things and bringing you to a place where you share in His glory. It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what He suffered. I want you to notice salvation is made perfect because of what Jesus suffered. Not because of what you suffer, but because of what Jesus suffered. In His suffering, He makes salvation perfect. It speaks to every single part of our existence, every single struggle, every single bit of brokenness, every bit of shame that clings to our lives, every bit of guilt, every bit of condemnation. Jesus' suffering makes the salvation He brings to us absolutely perfect. He goes on to say, 
Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That that word holy scares us because we think of perfectionism. And yes, there will come a time when we're in the presence of the Lord. When we see Jesus, we will be perfected in an absolute sense. But the essence of holiness is also wholeness. And He is bringing you to wholeness. He is bringing you to glory. He's bringing you to share in more of the healing power of His resurrected life. And I love this. He brings you into His family. He's not embarrassed. I, I know all of us probably have a relative somewhere that is a bit awkward and embarrassing. And if you don't know who that is, it's possibly you. Sorry, that was a terrible joke. But I'm just trying to make the point. He's not pushing you away going, oh, you're such an embarrassment to me. Oh, shame on you. No, he says shame off you. And you are included in his family. The, 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 in the Hebrew, it means literally to have the same father. He welcomes us into a relationship with our heavenly father. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. I want you to hear that. You might have people who say, well, I don't want to know anything about you're an embarrassment to me. You might be saying to yourself, I can't believe people would include me if they really knew who I was. I'm an embarrassment to them. I'm just filled with shame. No, no, Jesus says, I'm not ashamed of you. I want you to catch that. Jesus says to you today, I am not ashamed of you. I call you brother, sister, I include you in my father's family. And I want you to notice that in this passage, the designation given to Jesus is the pioneer. It's a rich Greek word. It can mean captain, but one of the meanings of it, and I love this, he's the champion. He's the champion. And it takes me back to these times in medieval times when somebody wouldn't fight, they'd bring their champion to fight, the strongest, the most powerful, to do battle, to win a situation. And when you're struggling with guilt and shame and condemnation and rejection, you have a champion, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, who will come to fight for you. That's his designation. I love something that Bob Goff says, that shame has one goal and one goal alone, to keep you centered in a dark past while it hides a beautiful future from you. And that's a tactic of the enemy. He's the shamer. He's the accuser. He's the one that dumps the guilt and whispers, shame on you, shame on you. And then we begin to echo those thoughts and live in those emotions. And his goal is to keep you locked in something that Jesus has already paid for. Something that Jesus is ready to forgive and to affirm forgiveness and to bring you into his family. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. It's such a powerful thing.
And when you get that broken in your life, when you experience the freedom of that forgiveness, when that weight of condemnation is lifted off you, when that sense of shame and embarrassment is lifted off you because Jesus says to you, I'm not ashamed of you. I forgive you. I cleanse you. I set you free. It releases you to step into your future, the future that God has planned and purposed for you. You see, this exchange is so powerful and it's all centered at what took place at the cross. You see, Jesus took our shame. The exchange of the cross covers two of the cruelest wounds that flow out of our brokenness, that flow out of our sinfulness. The cruelest emotions, the cruelest states of mind, the sense of shame and the sense of rejection. And they're so tied and interlinked. And Jesus says, I'm not ashamed of you. And Jesus in his suffering becomes God's perfect answer to our sin, to our guilt, to our brokenness and to our shame. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, that for the joy that was set before him, him being Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. One translation says, despising the shame. And to die on a cross naked was an incredibly shameful, humiliating death. And for the joy of bringing you into his family, for the joy of including you in forgiveness, for the joy of releasing you from condemnation, Jesus endured the cross. That was his joy to see you and I in his family set free, shame lifted off us. Jesus is not ashamed of you. He endured the cross with joy so he could broke Break the power of sin, guilt, shame, and brokenness off your life. He scorned it. He despised shame on the cross. You see, he was stripped of all clothing, hung naked before a jeering crowd. And Jesus bore our shame so that we could share in his glory. I love something that A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, says. We must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ. As Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock while the glory of God passed by. We must take refuge in God. And above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in his son. I love that imagery, that moment when Moses had said, that I might see your glory, he cried out. And God said, at the moment, you can't see my glory. So I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to pass by and you will see my receding glory. That's all Moses saw. And when he experienced that, he shone with the glory of God to the point where the Israelites covered his face for his glory. The, the, the imparted glory for Moses in that experience was incredible. And when you come to the cross... You've come to something greater than the cleft of the rock. You are hiding yourself in the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the foot of the cross, this exchange takes place. And all your shame, all your guilt, all your condemnation, all your brokenness is taken by Him. 
and in exchange he imparts eternal life and tied up in that is this impartation of the glory of God into your life we need to hide ourselves in the wounds of Jesus on the cross in the shame that he endured with a certain knowledge that because of that God sees us as his sons and daughters perfect in Christ Jesus is not ashamed of you one of the other things that I love that the Bible says took place at the cross is not only did Jesus take our shame but he shamed the shamer he actually shattered the power of the devil the principalities and powers that sought to disrupt the plan of salvation that sought to keep you and I in our brokenness in our humiliation and in our shame it says that Jesus on the cross cancelled the record of charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed, literally that word disarmed, stripped the clothes off principalities and powers and stripped them of their power. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Oh, this passage is so powerful. The truth that it speaks over your life, over my life today. If you could make a list of every single sin you committed, most of us would forget things that we've done. God doesn't forget. And if you could list all the things that you go, if people knew about that, I would be so ashamed and because of that shame has a voice in your life but if you could list all of it because that's what God did he listed he didn't just overlook stuff he listed it he saw all of it he wrote it down as it were and he took the list of things that would cause you shame out of your sinfulness out of your brokenness and he nailed it to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus was nailed to the cross all the list of things that could cause you shame were nailed to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed principalities and powers. And I love the, the, the Greek word there. It, disarmed is a great word, but it also means, as I said, he stripped the clothes off them. And kind of the imagery there is if you go to uh, a scene where somebody has been dishonorably discharged from the military, one of the things they do is to rip off their rank to rip them off their medals. And it's this humiliating act. And literally, that's what Jesus did on the cross when the principalities and powers, when the devil thought they had him, and because of that, they could keep you in your shame and keep you in your guilt. Jesus reached out and he ripped their authority away. He embarrassed them. He shamed the shamer and publicly declared a victory over them. You see, the cross was not a defeat. It is a point of victory for us that is then secured by the power of Christ's resurrection. Jesus on the cross has removed any claim that spiritual powers might have over you. And he's done it clearly and publicly in the heavenly realm. And because of that, not only did Jesus take our shame? Not only did Jesus shame the shamer, but Jesus is now the author of your future. 
I want you to get that. Shame doesn't have to shape your future. No matter what embarrassing things you have from your past, no matter what shameful things you've been carrying in your heart, received in your memory, hoping that nobody else ever finds out about, or because they have, you feel even more embarrassed. Jesus is the shaper of your destiny, the shaper of your future, because He took your shame. And He is not ashamed of you. He is not embarrassed to call you brother, sister, include you in His household, invite you into relationship with His Father in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. I love that. You see, bringing describes a process. Oh, oh, it's accomplished. It's finished at the cross. Jesus spoke those words. It is finished. It is complete. It is victorious. But the process in our lives, as we walk with Him, as we let that declaration where Jesus says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not embarrassed by you. I'm including you, my family. He brings us to glory. We'll experience the fullness of that glory when we see Him face to face and we will be transformed in an instant and we will be like Him for we will see Him as He is. But here on earth, it's a process. He's bringing us and both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are in the same family, have the same Father. You can confidently come before your God and call Him Father. Our Father who art in heaven, Jesus invited us to pray. It's bold, it's audacious. Our Father, without shame, without embarrassment. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. You see, shame drives us from God's presence, but grace invites us into His family to share the same Father without embarrassment, without awkwardness. Jesus bore our shame so that you and I might share His glory. In 1 Peter 5.10, Peter, who experienced shame, experienced embarrassment. We have one story about his life that must have been one of the most humiliating experiences, and it was self-inflicted. He had declared with such boldness that he would never, ever deny Jesus. In fact, he was quite boastful and arrogant and he looked at the other disciples and said, Jesus, though these, I, I don't know why you chose some of them, might betray you, might walk away from you. I will never, ever walk away from you. I will never deny you. And then as Jesus is taken from trial to trial, is beaten and whipped, he, he, Peter is standing around a fire, warming his hands. And a little servant girl comes to him and says, aren't you with Jesus? And he declares three times then, swearing with an oath, I never knew him. And then he heard the rooster crow, just as Jesus had said. And it says, he walked away and began to follow Jesus at a distance. And that's what happens when we live in shame when we live in brokenness, when we are so aware of our failure. And as I said, sometimes you've been a victim of somebody else's shameful act and now you carry the shame of that. 
and you begin to follow at a distance because you don't think you can be in the Father's presence or that you're not welcome in His presence. And Jesus came to Peter and through an incredible encounter that, encounter that you can read in John chapter 20. In fact, it's one of my favourite chapters in the Bible. There is this interaction, John 20, John 21, where Peter is forgiven and brought back, the shame lifted. And so years later, as Peter writes to people who have been scattered, people who have been persecuted, people who have been imprisoned, he says, and after you have suffered a little while. See, the Bible never says life will be perfect if you follow Jesus. It says, yeah, there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some strange things. There's going to be stuff. You go, where did that come from? He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. I just want you to get this. I'm landing this thing now, but I want you to get this. After you have suffered for a while, you've gone through all this turmoil, whatever you're going through in your life right now, the God of all grace, not an angry God, not a vengeful God, but the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. I want you to notice, Jesus took our shame that we might experience His glory. God is calling you to His eternal glory. And all you need to be is in Christ, in relationship with Christ, having received Him as the Lord and Saviour, having gone through, He took all the ugliness, the brokenness, the sinful. We take all the benefits. He's called you to eternal glory in Christ. But notice what else He does. He Himself will restore. That's our theme for the year. I will restore you. He will confirm. He will strengthen and He'll establish you. If you've been tossed about in a storm of shame, I want you to hear this word. The God of all grace is working in you to remove that shame, to give you the the glory that He's calling you to, and He will restore you. He will confirm something, send to you, anchor you in Christ. He will strengthen you so you can face anything, and He will establish you so that you can be fruitful. That's what the God of all grace will do if you are in Christ. My question is, are you in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you're not, through a simple prayer and putting your trust in Him and make Him the leader of your life, the Lord of your life, you can be in a right relationship with Him. I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer and whether you're praying it for the first time or you've wandered off and you're coming back to God, just remember the prodigal son experienced shame and the father welcomed him, invited him to family, stripped the robe of, of, of the tatty clothes of brokenness off him and put a robe of glory on him. I, I believe that's a word for somebody listening in this moment.